wedding, Jim. But not as we know it. How dare you? Zero five. It is 20 minutes past 12 on Thursday, the 8th of June, 2023. And you were listening to The Bashcast. Coming up in this afternoon's Bashcast, Tom explains some changes to the Bashcast going forward and a camping trip of panko breadcrumbs and deleted stories, golf betting, a pointless exercise into working out which players have the lowest and highest ROI. A little bit of fun there. Horse racing, multiple big wins to talk about. Five-figure wins, six-figure wins. Hey Jude, mega value with Bellingham in early May and how we can use seemingly useless palps to find value in other areas. And Shots on Target, a review of all historical lines between 2020 and 2023 and analysis of where bookmakers place bias within their over-under margins in player stats. All of that and more coming up on the Bashcast this afternoon. And welcome back to the Bashcast this Thursday afternoon. It is gloriously sunny outside, so much so that I think I might would quite like to get this wrapped up in a couple of hours and then go outside, have a walk, let some of that yellow thing in the sky shine down on me. Hope you're well. Sorry that there hasn't been many Bashcasts recently. I'm not going to lie, I haven't been well. I haven't been well at all. Um, do I go into detail about this? Is this the way I'm going to start? Let's let's mention it without going into too much detail. Long-term listeners of the Bashcast going back to 2015 might remember that I went quiet for about three months. People thought I was dead. Um, I had to go to hospital um, and have some emergency surgery to remove some issues that were going on in my stomach. Um, and um, for a while, I didn't have the, a great stomach, and to this day, it's not that it's not that good. And so my son came home from school with a stomach bug about a month ago, six weeks ago, something like that. He was ill for two days and he went back to school. I was ill for like five weeks. I'm properly ill as well. And the thing about your stomach, a healthy stomach is is tied into the energy that you have. And so um, when your stomach is churning away and not particularly healthy, it drains your energy. And... So twofold, I've kind of been in pain, so I didn't want to do the Bashcast, although the good thing about being in pain is experimenting with all the painkillers, which is one of the one of the upsides, if you can find an upside about being in pain. So I've been having a lot of fun with that. But secondly, it's a, it's a complete drain on energy. And I mean, honestly, 
when it was at its worst over the last few weeks, I'd be sitting here talking like this. And you wouldn't want to listen to it. Nobody would want to listen to it. So um, I took the decision not to record. So that's kind of the first thing. And the second thing, and I have mentioned this before, but it's, it is true. Um, and that is the well, certain life situational changes have been going on. My wife goes away and works in London for a lot of the week. Or like London is my catch-all term for not at home. I have no idea where she is. Um, so I'll do the school run in the morning and the school run in the evening, and then I've got my kids. I've got little kids. They're both under the age of eight. And so I've got, I mean, don't get your violins out, but I'm just trying to put yourself into my position because any other parents might know this. By the time I've gone through homework, by the way, why is a four-year-old getting homework? I pick him up from school at five o'clock in the evening. He's got to go to bed at seven. We've got to have dinner. So what what are you going to, what, what does the government want him to do with that massive amount of 20 minutes free time that he's got in the evening? Oh, yeah, he's, he's got homework to do. It's ridiculous. But anyway, I've got all of that. So by the time the kids are in bed, I now don't have the energy to do a podcast. I'm not um, I'm not an evening person. Who's the poker fraud alert guy? Todd Wittellis, who does his like, he does like an eight-hour fortnightly podcast and starts it at like 10 in the evening. So he'll finish it at 6 a.m. I could have done that up until the age of about 30, but not now. So um, this this kind of change in life dynamic means that um, I have to find time to get it done during the day when I'm doing other things anyway. So look, I'm, I'm kind of making excuses, but it, this is the reality of where we are just now. Um, one, I've been ill. Two, there have been life circumstances. And not a lot's going to change moving forward. Well, hopefully I'm not as ill, to be fair. But I think going up until September, so through the rest of June, July, and August. Um, we might get a couple out, but that'll be about it. We'll get a couple of bash casts out. Um, and then I think I want to change things up come September. Um, perhaps do a little bit shorter format video podcasting. Because also from my perspective, this started off as a personal diary. And I don't want to feel like I'm going over the same ground over and over again. Um, and feel like it was becoming a little bit repetitive or boring. Um, and so there is a necessity that if I haven't really got anything to talk about, I'm not going to turn the microphone on. Um, and that ha that has also been the case for the last five weeks. So um, it, it's kind of getting to the point, I think, where I need to press record for a shorter period of time, but for things that are important to talk about and stop waffling which is an interesting thing to say 14 minutes into a podcast when I haven't actually said anything yet. But that's why we're putting timestamps in. So anyway, yeah, just kind of like a little bit of an apology and an explanation of why there haven't been so many um, bashcasts recently. Um, we didn't get nominated for best podcast in the betting awards this year. Um, uh, it's maybe understandable. Um, apparently, a couple of things, I think that the, Bashcast is tied in a little bit too much as kind of a a bookie bashing thing. So if you don't have access to the bookie bashing tools, then you probably don't listen. Or if you do, you don't care so much about some of the more nuances in there. And then I'd probably waffle on a little bit too much about my sister's wedding and how annoyed I get at the post office for it to be a legitimate gambling podcast. And so that is what it is. Um, 
Um, I do wonder where we came last year. I, I, you, when you're nominated and there's a list of 10 and you don't get um, gold, silver, bronze, that means that you were either fourth up to 10th. I reckon I was probably 10th, um, uh, but that's okay. Again, this isn't really for anyone else. It's just for me. But here's the thing, though. Thank you very much for anyone that emailed in asking where it's been. Like, I get, I, to tell you the truth, if you hadn't done that, I probably wouldn't have pressed record today. It kind of forced me into feeling guilty about it. Where have I been as well? Well, I took my very ill stomach down to the Gower Peninsula. Have you been to Rossilly Beach in the Gower Peninsula? It's like jellyfish beach. You could be in Australia in a hot day, and it was a hot day. We've struck the lottery. I'm going to go to the world's worst sports betting downswing because I've been on the world's best UK camping weather upswing that anyone in this country has ever been on. You can't go six camping holidays for six with glorious blue skies requiring so much suntan lotion on a daily basis that you end up getting sunburned. Not in the UK, but I'm six for six. Like, you must think that the odds of that happening, even in the middle of summer, for the entire week, must be three to one per holiday on a um, uh, um, on a basis. So it's four to the power of six is the probability that I would have been on six back-to-back, blisteringly blue sky UK camping trips. Alexa, what is four to the power of six? Four to the power of six is 4,096. Either way, an Amazon package will be delivered today. Uh, Alexa, you didn't need to tell me that. Is it 4,096? It's not though, is it? It's not 4, th- 4 times 4 is 16. 16 times 4 is 64. 64 times 4 is 256. 256 times 4 is uh, 1,025. Oh, it is. 1, oh. Do you know what? I actually thought it was in the trillions when I first thought, four to the power of six, but now I realise it's 4,096 to one. Well, there you go. Anyway, my next holiday obviously is three to one, but really, if you'd look back six holidays ago, it should be about 16,000 to one uh, for blisteringly blue skies, which will be towards the end of July for me. Um, If you haven't been down to that beach, they've got this huge jellyfish down on the beach. Um that just sort of rock up and get washed up onto the shore. And um, my two kids are quite funny. One of them now has a jellyfish fear, which is understandable. That's the older girl. And the younger son just treated them as a trampoline. And it's quite disturbing to see a little boy just kind of jumping on top of a massive jellyfish in his bare feet as well. God knows where he gets that from. So it's a very different, though, um, uh, experience to when I was down there. I went to this beach and this campsite, Hill End campsite. It's really cool. It's really good. It's right down there. I mean, there was no surf last week. When the surf is there, the surf is good. Um, and we would go there as late teenagers, early 20s, and it was kind of a thing where you would go down to the beach at 10 a.m. with a barbecue and a speaker and some drinks, anything else that you might want to bring with you. And... Uh, you would probably return home when the sun was coming up. And those were great days. Um, although, the, you know, the fog of youth, you probably look at it through rose-tinted glasses. It, there, there were probably challenges at those times that you just choose not to recall and you just think that life was brilliant. Whereas now, it's a little bit more of a case of, well, look, all I'll say is when I was 21, I don't recall 
going from tent to tent, asking if anybody had brought any panko breadcrumbs for my coconut crispy king prawn tacos that I was making on the barbecue. Do this, by the way. Get your get your king prawns uncooked, not cooked, uncooked king prawns. Dust them in a bit of flour, into egg, into a mixture of panko breadcrumbs and desecrated coconut. We couldn't. We but would you believe nobody had any panko breadcrumbs on the campsite? But what I did do is I I toasted some um, bread crusts under the pizza oven. Uh, really high temperature, 400 degrees, very quickly, and then took the sort of crossed back ends of those and put them through a cheese grater. Worked a charm. Worked the panko breadcrumbs delivered to the campsite via innovation. So your king prawns into flour, into egg, into a mixture of desecrated coconut and panko breadcrumbs, right? And then you want to you wanna cook them at a high heat, It'll, you know, sort of shallow fry them because you could crisp up the breadcrumbs and the coconut. And then stick those into some tortilla wraps, a little bit of cherry tomato, some lemon juice. Lettuce works quite well with that. Um, some guac guac, but couldn't get my hands on any avocado, so we, we didn't have any, but it didn't matter. But chili sauce, oh, I'll tell you what, you're living like a king. You're living like an absolute king. And then um, the obvious, just sort of sitting around with friends, you know, 20-odd kids there. 20-odd friends there as well, and um, uh, just staying up drinking. One thing to be careful of, though, the kids are getting a little bit older. Um, they go to bed. You forget that when they go to bed in your house, you sort of stay a little bit quieter, and there's a little, you know, there's a, there's walls between you, whereas there's, there's no walls in camping, and I remember. Um, I was telling the story of... Oh, hello there. This is Tom, the um, podcast edit squirrel. What's happened here is it's a couple of days later and I haven't uploaded the podcast yet because it's just taken me a little bit more time than I thought to get round to do it. And look, I just listened back to that story that I told at the beginning of the podcast. What was I thinking? What was I thinking? Um, context is important. The reason it was an inappropriate story at the campsite is it, be- it involved uh, diarrhea, vomit um, from both me and another girl and lots of body parts. And at the campsite, it was an incredibly inappropriate story for a young lad to have heard through the tent wall. And I can't believe that I thought that it was appropriate to retell on the Bashcast. What? What's wrong with me? Anyway, I've just re-listened to what I'd said a couple of days ago, and I was mortified, and I'm glad, actually, I caught it in time. So, yeah, I pressed delete, but I've got nothing else to put in its place. You just need to know that the story was originally recorded. It's a disgusting story that doesn't need to be retold. In fact, there's a couple of times in my life, in my past, where things have happened that have been locked away in some sort of temporal quarantine, um, Latvia in 2008, between May the 2nd and May the 4th is one of those periods. Woolacum, 2011, October the 3rd to October the 5th is a second one of those periods. This was another one. So how I found the key 
to the little box that it was locked in and managed to unlock it and started retelling the story again recently is anyone's guess. But yeah, no, for the safety and respect of everyone listening, it's probably best that we delete that. Starting with golf, just a quick summary on golf, not spending too much time on it, but um, there was some recovery due to a single um, European Tour event, the DPWT Sudal Open. That recovery being getting 2023 out of the negative. I know I've spoken to a number of people who said that they've they've had enough. The, the, the patience has worn thin from golf betting. And if you look up until now, the 8th of June, 2023, you can sort of see why. Um, 47 events this year, 354 bets, 2.61% ROI. Now, it is positive. But, I mean, you've bet £5,516. You've won £143.94. You've invested a lot of emotion. You've only got five winners. Uh, only 1.44% on the PGA 3.85% on the DP World Tour as a result of one tournament and one tournament only, which was the Sudal Open, which um, Forstrom won at 140 to 1 and Dantorp came second at 150 to 1, both of which were put up, as well as another place in Matthew Southgate at 50 to 1 and another place in Aaron Cockerell at 33 to 1. It's funny how just one tournament can return so much. I mean, um, under a £1,000 bankroll, that was £96 staked and £796 profit. So, you know, just the eight, eight, uh, yeah, 800% ROI on that. But you missed that one tournament, then this year's been difficult. Um, you can see it in the results. Look, Patton actually does quite a good, did quite a good, Tweeting this, he does a series of tweets where he does like threaded tweets where he just gets whatever's on his head out of his head. 172 last time out. Uh, one thing that makes me laugh within betting is when a tipster or so called expert says something like, We backed the golfer last time out. How frustrating they are that they won this time. Not gonna lie, I may be a so called professional better that has that thought on more than one occasion this year. Um, but if John Rahm is going to win every single tournament, then that's just what's going to happen. And since the last bash cast, of course, John Rahm wins the Masters. Matt Fitzpatrick wins the Heritage. Don't think he was value. Riley and Hardy won the team event in New Orleans. They were value. I wasn't on them. I think they were very thin value. Tony Finau wasn't much in the Mexico Open. Wyndham Clark was good in the Wells Fargo. I just wasn't on him. Jason Day wasn't good at the Byron Nelson. Brooks Koepka wasn't good at the PGA Championship. Grillo wasn't good at the Charles Schwab. Hovland wasn't good at the Memorial Tournament. So, you know, we're having player after player after player winning when they are more than likely under our model a bad price. This is under our model. Um... Maybe you've got a different model that suggests they're a good price. Rufus Peabody apparently had um, John Rahm earlier this year shorter on his golf model for various reasons for several months, and he was backing them, backing him in most weeks without joy. 
They were value bets according to his model. Um, and then there came a time and a point where the market caught up with his models and Rom was no longer a value play. So Rufus Peabody stopped backing him every week. He took different positions. And ironically, Rom then wins lots of events shortly after that. You have to be a robot not to notice that. You know what I mean? It's like, I feel like the same names come up week after week after week. And I mean, I really do think that, that these players come up over and over again. And so off the back of that, I give you the world's stupidest and meaningless analysis, which is players that come up loads of times and there are OI. Okay, I wanted to have a new bed for this. I wanted to write new music just for this. But then I realized I couldn't be bothered because it's stupid. I'm just looking at guys that we put up 10 times or more and they're ROI. I'm going to be looking at those that have never placed and then I'll look at the best performing guys. So we have one, two, three, five, seven players who we've put up 10 times. They haven't placed a single time. That's Matt Jordan, Johannes Veerman, Cameron Champ, Wilco Ninabar, Ashley Chesters, Doug Geem, and Masahiro Kawamura. Perhaps we need lesser of the Mora. We've put one player up 11 times and he has never placed, and that is Seamus Power. And then we have five guys in dead heat for 12 times they've been put up and they have never placed, and this is going to have to be in order of the amount of money we've lost on them. Danny Lee, Tom Lewis... And Alexander Bjork take up the bottom three positions. In number two, it is Min Woo Lee. He's always there. He's always on the graph. He's always leading the tournament after the second round. He's never placed for us. But number one in the guy that we put up 12 times. And he's got a minus 100% return on investment. That means he's lost every single penny for us because he has never placed for us. And we have put him up this week in the Canadian Open and on top of that he is currently after just a few holes three over par in the Canadian Open just set five holes gone so he's not going to place this week it is Mr. Wolverhampton's finest Aaron Rye those are the worst performing golfers that we've ever put up what about the best performing golfers I think we all need to know who the best performing golfers are so I'm just going to have a look at the top five coming in at number five He's appeared 11 times on our golf options. He's got a 410% ROI. It's Tom the Hoagie Hogue at number four. 15 times with a 436% ROI. It's Kevin Hey Jude. Na, 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 na. Coming in at number three. Look, if I was going to make a list of my favorite golfers, I'd be looking at him because we put him a staggering 18 times. He's got a 478% ROI. That is Luke List. At number two, hot on the heels of number one. But at number two... This is Billy Horschel, 12 times he's gone up in the tracker, 510% ROI. But at number one, the golfer that has had the highest ROI with a minimum of 10 entries on our weekly golf options, it is, what did the fox say, Ryan the Fox Fox? Well, I'll tell you what the fox said. He said, if you'd staked £192 on me, you'd have £1,089.5p 1, back for a staggering 567% ROI from 13 entries on the weekly golf options.
acceptance and that finalizes the dumbest stupidest and meaningless rundown of the best and worst golfers but look I kind of know what Luke means. It, it, it just feels sometimes like you can just... It's its loss aversion, isn't it? You recognise the times you're unlucky or the times that you put a guy up week after week after week and then he wins the next week and you see it and it's just something that happened naturally. So look, golf is meandering along. Um, you thought there might be some recovery with that Sudal open, but then yet again, it just seems to be the same old, same old for 2023. You were hoping maybe we'd win that and then that would be the catalyst to go forward. Of course, there's no pattern in any of this. There's no reason for a win to be preceded by a win or a loss, especially just you're looking at one to two tournaments a week. I mean, what are we talking about here? Let's not forget that our sample size for 2023 is 47 tournaments. I mean, we often talk about the need to look at hundreds thousands if you're betting at you know 500 to one every week so um the overall variance in how many tournaments you need to look at does depend on your field coverage i've said before um i've always believed that there was about a one in five chance that running these weekly golf options from the tracker would result in a loss at the end of the year well, we've had it for four years. We've had 56%, 11%, 30%, and 47% in those four years. This year's 2.61%. Do you know what? This sounds dumb. It sounds dumb. I'd take 2.61% at the end of the year. I really would. Uh, if it was minus 5%, I wouldn't be surprised. If it was minus 10%, I'd be annoyed. Um, but it would be within the realm of possibility. And um, if that did happen, then I would be hoping that there was some sort of correction shortly afterwards a, a big hot run in 2024 it's a little bit early to be talking about 2024 but i'm just saying um 2023 the golf tracker this is just the nature of golf betting it's how it is so i put up on latest news where you can find all of the blogs and commentary um um you only swing when you're winning because apparently we only sing when we're winning well Yes, we've won 2.6%, but in terms of time and effort and mental energy across the uh, half a year we've spent on golf so far, I don't consider that to be a win. Um, but if you want to go have a go and download the the golf results and any of the other results, actually, I just did update them all very recently, so you can go and do that. And my advice, don't do it if you don't think you could go a year breaking even or making a small loss. Um, uh, as painful as it is. It's painful for me. I mean, I'm invested in this every single week um, when our results lose. I lose when we break even. I break even. Um, so, yeah, um, it's the fun of the fair of golf betting. At least one thing that might change going forward, that is going to change going forward, is that staggering bit of news um, that came in yesterday from nowhere, seemingly, that the DP World Tour, the PGA, and the PIF, is that private investment firm from the Middle East that runs the Live Tournament, are all merging. And I don't have a lot to add to this because this is more of a betting podcast than it is a sports podcast. If you want to go and listen to the sports commentators talk about it, Bunkered do a good podcast on um, golf, which I think they released one within 20 minutes of the news being announced yesterday. Um, in terms of betting, I don't think 
the live. I wasn't. I mean, I have bet on every live tournament, and you try and sort of use the argument that the markets and the edge that we have shouldn't be any different. But for me, it's a little bit. I do wonder if all golfers are putting everything into the live. Brooks Koepka will be priced up as a certain price just after he wins a major this year. And then apparently he turned up at the live event, which there's no relegation from. He has the security of his card on the live tour. I think he'd been on a bender for three days and had about six hours sleep. Um, It's those kind of things. The fact that it's an invitational and... To some extent, the players with that are already on that tour are secure on that tour. Um, to me, I just wonder about if every player is giving every competitive edge. Of course, in horse racing, the jockey will be questioned left, right and centre if there's any whiff of a suggestion that he hasn't pushed the horse all the way to the line. They want to make sure that no horse that was in third position is just eased up and then falls out of the places from an error from the jockey. And that is, there's a lot of rules and regulation and management around that. And I just don't see the same thing in live. And I think there might be certain players who, whose stats are very, very strong. I mean, Brooks's stats would have been amongst the strongest after he won the USPGA. And you see players like that. And then you hear that they turn up to live after the end of a three-day bender. And you're like, well, how could the market have possibly brought that in? His price should now be longer and everyone else's price should now be shorter. There's too much of a a small sample size, volatility and variance to even look at the historical ROI of just live tournaments. I know it's probably not good. I just intuitively know that it's not going to be good. But um, I don't exactly know what it is. In fact, let's just very quickly do it now. Right, I've done that now. Sorry, I, I edited out the analysis because it took me a little bit more time than I thought it would do to find the live guys. But we haven't had that many golfers um, or tournaments. How much is it? How many has it been? I don't know. But if I just sum this up, I get uh, I get ninety six. I mean, ninety six individual golfers in a, probably about eight tournaments. So it's, that's going to be like twelve tournaments. Eight, eight per tournament. It's going to be twelve tournaments minus. Under a thousand pound bankroll, minus six hundred and sixteen pounds from one thousand eight hundred and twenty-six pounds staked from minus thirty-four percent ROI. It's meaningless, though. I mean, it kind of is meaningless because it's only twelve tournaments, so you can't put too much on that. But the one bit about it, about it not being that competitive, is the bit that I mean, I, I could happily not bet and live ever again. I think there are some people that do. I think um, the merger between PGA DP World Tour and the P the private investment firm means that live will probably go away they're going to keep that probably there's some assurance that they're going to keep the stupid team element that live had and that's really dumb because that was the worst part of it nobody cared nobody cared about the cliques did they could you tell me who's in the cliques um that but the shotgun start i quite liked and if they had a few tournaments over the year that had a shotgun start um then well you know bring something different to it one person you've got to feel miffed for is Rory McIlroy because, you know, he stuck to his guns. He didn't go over to live. He was probably offered 500 million like everybody else. And now he's just been stiffed. How rich is Rory McIlroy? How rich is Rory McIlroy? There we go. Um, and I'm no longer feeling too bad for him. 
Rory's McIlroy's net worth in 2023 is 170 million. But do you reckon if you're 100, if you've got 170 million, and then you've turned down the opportunity at 500 million, would you sit there and go, "Well, now I should have had 670 million, so now I'm miffed," or would you go, "Oh well, at least I've got 170 million, so life isn't too bad." I reckon I'd probably be the former. So I alluded to the fact that we had a big winning horse racing um, member um, from the 1st of April on the last podcast. Sadly, um, although, you know, it's everyone's right, but sadly the person has chosen anonymity over publicity. You can understand it if you want a bit of money in the lottery. I never understand the people that want to plaster their faces all over the newspapers. It's like, don't you just know that every single person you've ever met in your entire life who's now down on their luck is going to be knocking on your door to try and get some of your good fortune. So I respect anonymity. Um, we had a previous big winner um, who was closer to about 900,000K who also chose anonymity, sadly. So, yeah, you got to respect it. But what happened, at least I can um, sort of give away the story, was on um, the 1st of April when... Um, so, you know, could have been a hoax, but um, we know it wasn't because there was a screenshot which was hastily deleted on Discord, it must be said. But there was a screenshot shot on the um, evening of the 1st of April. And I got an email through from the chap shortly afterwards, actually, as well. Just sort of an email of thanks. So this is how their afternoon unfolded. It was, um, the first race was at 405 Kempton. And they placed a lucky 31, which is kind of um, the bets that I mostly do these days. They placed it at William Hill on an um, on a William Hill account. And the last race was 2.10 Doncaster. So it's a period of two hours and five minutes. I mean, normally when you're placing lucky 31s, there's probably five or six hours between the first one and the last one. So this was over relatively quickly. Picked five horses that were plus EV at the tracker. Now, I've got the data in front of me for both the default and the um, BB algo from um, 12 p.m. So he, this chap chose Fox's Tales in the first at 4 to 1, Bear Force 1 at 20 to 1, For Dream at 10 to 1, Migration at 18 to 1, and Astral Bow at 40 to 1. Did have a 45p rule 4 um, attached to that. Now, I don't know when he placed it, but at 12 p.m., the middle one, the dream, ten to one, was still ten to one, and was still value, pretty good value as well, nearly hundred and ten percent. But the other four weren't. They must have steamed into value over the afternoon, or maybe he placed it earlier in the day, and they drifted by the time we recorded at twelve p.m. But of the horses we recorded at twelve p.m., the uh, we had a look at the default metric. There were thirty-seven plus EV horses. Of those, um, 26 of them lost, which you can, you know, with the, with the, what were, um, the odds that we're betting at, that's pretty standard. 11 of them, 13 of them placed, two of them won. I mean, I've included the ones that won in the places, because sometimes when you're looking at lucky 15s, lucky 31s, you kind of just care about place, 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 or win, 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 win. But if it's place, 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 you don't care if the last horse places or wins because the, it, the amount of money returned is inconsequential compared to linking up all of those multiples and adding in the quintuple. 
So yeah, he had um, he had um, two hours and five minutes. Fox's Tale was the first one, four to one. So there's no big surprise when a four to one goes on to win. Um, but then we've got Bear Force One at twenty to one, which is a mile handicap. Um, uh, the starting price was sixteen to one, but the punter got a little bit more value getting in there early at t- earlier at twenty to one. Um, the dream ten to one would have been great for everybody because just because we've seen that plus EV all day. Um, then we're all that's already getting interesting. Two o five, two forty. Three o'clock, all of them come in. I'm going to open up the systems bet calculator at Bucky Bashing because I want to know where they are at this point. I know this is a 50p lucky 31, so which is like 31 pounds. Obviously, I tend to go for a two pound lucky 31s these days. That's why. I, that's why. I, oh, was it a one? Yeah, no, it was a 50p. Yeah, 50p lucky 31s. So let's change that. Five selections. First selection. Five twenty-one. 11, 19, and 40 to 1 with a 45p will fall. Let's just call it 20 to 1. Slightly underestimating it, but it'll do. Right, and now we've got um, win, win, win. So where are we at win, win, win on a 50p stake? I mean, here we go. We're already at... The third one wins. We're already at £824.60. So now you've got either place... Doesn't really make a difference, right? Either place is either £979 or £992. Both places is quite nice because that's £1,919. Where it comes into its own is the win. Because a single win, the first win, is £16,027. And the other win is £17,624. So, you know, you're on... um, um, You're about 10 to 1 shot for the better part of 20 grand there. And that's what happened. Migration came in. Um... So imagine now you are, how, how much time do you have? You've now got, so let's say, well, how long was migration? How long was that race? Yeah, it doesn't say. But um, let's imagine that that race finishes at 3.40. You've got 30 minutes to wait until Astral Bow. I understand from the email that the chap's um, wife couldn't watch it. I think she went out for a walk. Uh, my wife couldn't watch it either. So you're watching a horse race at the end now, and you're on a horse that you were on at 40 to 1, but with a 45p rule for it's about 20 to 1. So you're at 20 to 1. You've already won £16,027. The place will give you another £1,000. So you're, you're about 4 to 1 for another £1,000. But it's the win which, um, well, I, I understand it that he thought he was up for um, about £350,000, the final payout. I think it's complicated when you have a rule four and you've also got bog and stuff like that. But the final payout was £441,913, so he thought he was going to get a little bit less. Um, but Astro Bow went, won the last race, and yeah, he was very happy. He, I think he posted a screenshot, I think it was of uh, William Hill, Account with four hundred thousand pounds in there. Hastily deleted it. Can't blame him for that. Um, got in touch with me. I, t- I spoke to him for a little bit of time, but then he went dark, and I think he's chosen anonymity, and that's fine. I understand that, but um, yeah, I mean, good on him. Um, it's it, again, there was no reason for him to win that amount of money. I've been betting for a long time on a lot of 
horses. I have never won that amount of money. Got super lucky in the last, but someone's going to get super lucky. And these are all plus EV selections. So, you know, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a high variance lottery ticket is all it is. Um, we have a little bit more detail from a couple of weeks later. There was like a period of three days where like three people got in touch with five figure wins. Um, this guy didn't get in touch with me. This guy got in touch with um, Smart Betting Club because I think they'd found the horse racing tracker through there where we are still the gold. Do you know what makes me nervous about the upcoming betting awards? It's that when you haven't ever been in the awards and then you win gold, that's great. But then in year two, if you've got gold, there's only one direction to go in. It's like if we win gold again, then it's kind of great. It's not as great as the first time we did, but it's kind of great. But any other result is like worse do you know what i mean it's like so either it can only be neutral or get worse <laughs> so there's no enjoyment having the gold trophy as the best horse racing tipsters apparently got a big argument with somebody over the whether i'm a tipster or not i guess this was on twitter so i was just being stupid i guess i can see it because we do have, we have said before we're not tipsters but what i think we're, we're trying to do is differentiate ourselves away from the people that just put up one or two selections at a single price i mean Okay, if you want to go by the absolute definition of a tipster from the Oxford English Dictionary, definition of tipster, that is a person who gives tips, especially the likely winner of a race or contest. So I think we were having this argument over golf. There was a, it was odd. It was when we had Forstrom and Dan Torp as 140 to 150 to 1. I happened to mention that. I didn't even celebrate it. Because I'm aware of the losing run this year, it brought it into the into profit, but we're sitting at two percent, so there's no point in bringing trumpets out. So I didn't even celebrate it, but um, it was interesting how I follow a couple of other accounts who didn't get the winners, but they did get a place, and you see everyone saying congratulations, oh great work next time, and everything like that, and odds golf tips checker collect all of the golf tips they don't collect bookie bashing we don't send them anything but they collect everyone where it's available and they do a little pie chart nobody selected either one or two in that event so i saw other accounts and there's so much positivity and go on and everything like that and i happened to say we got one and two 140 to 150 to one i didn't even celebrate it because i did say i'm not gonna blow the trumpets because of the run that we've been on this year but it does mean that we're in profit and the only reply i got from somebody was you're not a tipster so that's it. They say, I don't understand it. I don't it's Miserable bastards, aren't they? Anyway, anyway um, yeah, this chap got in touch with um, um, Smart Betting Club. Pete sent out an email. He said, we each have our own betting preferences here at SBC. Some prefer horse racing, some tennis. Some of us target slow and steady profits from football, whilst others like the adrenaline-inducing highs and lows of golf betting. Tell me about it. One thing that we all... Love for our daily betting is the bookie bashing horse racing tracker. Now, in terms of me, right, the horse racing, even before the tracker was around, but horse racing, lucky 15s, lucky 31s, each way singles. This is like the staple food. This is, if you imagine that old World Health Organization food pyramid, which was nonsense because it didn't say anything about calorie in, calorie out. It was like... Breads and rices are good, and 
meat and fats are bad. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and then everybody then just said, okay, well, I'm just going to eat cereal and rice and bread until I'm 73 stone and massively overweight. But anyway, they put those as the staples at the top. So the staples of, of gambling should really be the horse racing simply due to the volume of bets that we can get on it. Everybody drink. So when Pete says, you know, it's a, it's a staple, yeah, it is. It's a, uh, the daily betting is a staple. Um, this service has become a staple for us since we analyzed it in depth in SBC Magazine 127, profitable in shops online, um, and even on betting accounts with limits placed on them. This tool allows users to place multiple bets with bundles of positive expected value built into them, a virtual lottery ticket with the opportunity to win big. Hey, you nicked that from one of my bash casts. Uh, SBC member wins big. Recently, we had one SBC member get in touch who did just that he definitely loves this tool and it's just made him fifteen thousand pounds on all on a restricted account so not quite four hundred forty thousand pounds but they did write up a blog about it um so the most popular of um so bookie bashing is an sbc favorite the most popular tool is the fantastic horse racing tracker oh the most popular tool of bookie bashing i see a core element of the bookie bashing site that we analyzed in depth a database of over two million horses races live feeds from both bookmakers and exchanges and true odds calculations for every runner makes finding value very easy especially in the place parts of bets each way multiple betting lends itself perfectly to this tool bookies think they are mug bets small stakes can result in massive returns and even a handful of places can make you Profit. SBC member hits the jackpot is the headline. So uh, Pete caught up with him um, and said, tell me about your recent big win and how exactly did that come about? Um, and he says, I won just over £15,000 from placing an each way lucky 63 using the bookie bashing horse racing tracker to identify my six horses. Only two of the six won, both at 16 to 1, with the remaining four placing of odds at 6 to 1, 20 to 1, 33 to 1 and 40 to 1. And that, again, goes back to what I'm saying. It's like, it kind of didn't matter. Um... The horses that won. Um, it, when you sync up place, 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 then you don't care if it wins or places. It's the syncing up of the six places that is the big thing, really. and Or the syncing up of the six wins. Um, that's where it goes stratospheric. So um, um, SPC asks them, how do you decide what types of bet to place and how long have you been doing it? It says, I've only been using the racing tracker for two months. Um, I was hesitant of joining... During, due to being restricted by the majority of bookmakers. Uh, so I couldn't justify the subscription fee as I wouldn't be able to use its full potential. But here's the funny thing about the subscription fee. I don't want this to turn into a sales course, but what we have is that nobody does everything, right? If you've got massive online accounts, you probably sit around doing two-ups uh, or, you, you know, multiples, at Bet365, stuff like that. If you've just got shops, then you probably just go out there and hit coupons and a few horses if you've got nothing then there are people that are using us just as exchange only you know what i mean using the tools essentially all of the tools for that so um it's kind of like he want he didn't couldn't justify the subscription fee because he was restricted well the other thing about the restrictions is that a restricted skybet account um and a, a few other bookmakers can still have a lot of life because you can always, well, you can usually get enough on a lucky 15 or a lucky 31 on a restricted account that it still makes it worthwhile and you can still see some decent profits. So he says, 
Um, as a long-term reader of Rowan's Bet Diary and listener to the BB Bashcast, hey, I like this person already. Forget what I said about what worry about justifying the subscription fee. I've got to hold on to these people. I've been aware of the success others had have had, so I finally decided to give it a go. Uh, when I first joined, I followed Rowan's lucky 15 strategy, sticking to horses priced between 2 to 1 and 25 to 1. But after a few weeks, I realized that to win a significant sum with lucky 15s, you're reliant on winners. Mm, no, you're just reliant on linking up things. I mean, maybe you could have three big price winners out of five. That probably would return well, but it's that place, 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 place that you're looking for. As the racing tracker is designed to identify value based on the place terms, then you don't want to be dependent on winners when that's not what the tool is designed to do. I mean, not really. Um, there's a couple more things that are integrated into the tool. Yes, we're filtering out win obs, okay? So there is the argument that we're taking a loss on the win component of the price because you could go to the exchange and get a higher price. Caveat that with the fact that we also have to build in to the model, to the evaluation, that we are pretty much all of the horses that we're looking at are steamers, like every single one. You you very rarely get a drifter that's good EV on the tracker. If, if, if it is, it won't be around for long. So it's more than 50%. The majority, the, I would say the overwhelming majority of horses that are value on the boogie bashing tracker are steamers, right? And with that brings inherent information about value in the win component, whether it's enough to overcome the disparity between the win price and the bookmaker and the exchange is debatable and probably is necessary to go on a horse-by-horse horse and price-by-price price analytical basis. Fave long shot bias is going to come on, come into that for sure. But... um. Yeah, uh, I don't necessarily think that there's no value on the win component. I think it's just more of a global picture, and sometimes there is and sometimes there isn't, whereas there pretty much always is in the place. Um, uh, I decided that lucky 31s and more specifically lucky 63s offered more potential for winning horses, uh, winning those significant five-figure sums from horses finishing in the places. I've, I've had a conversation with a lot of people that, don't like lucky 15s. They prefer to have more horses and more opportunity. I also changed my odds filter to between 5 to 1 and 50 to 1 on the basis that you need those under 5 to 1 to win in order to increase the value of your bet. I'm sure my theory here is flawed. In some ways, you do get value each way bets at low odds, but my thinking is a horse priced at 9 to 2 at 1 to 5th, the odds would return £1.90 for a £1 each way stake, so a loss of 10p. I, like, I mean, it's perfectly fine logic if you ask me. To my mind, you'd be better off not including the 92 shot in your 50p each way lucky 63 and just double your stake on the other five and place a one pound each way lucky 31. I, yeah, sound logic as far as you ask me. I also tend to concentrate on those horses with a higher confidence rating as it makes sense to stick to the ones on the tracker. It's confident about, and after that, it's just a case of uh, picking the horses with the highest EV. Fair enough. Um, he says, you're only able to utilize a restricted bookmaker um, so would you recommend it? He says, I only have access to two bookmakers accounts at the moment. Um, the plan was to use bookie bashing with these accounts as long as I could, but I also decided to have a go at getting some bets down on previously restricted accounts. On the account I won the 15K with, they would only give me 6P each way on a lucky 63. However, when I split it into separate doubles, trebles, fourfolds, fivefolds, and sixfolds, they allowed just about my full 50p each way stakes, albeit the sixfold was limited to 5p each way. Being restricted to pennies certainly made the win sweeter, so it's definitely something worth trying. 
So there you go. A couple of um, stories from a couple of big winners there. £440,000 winner, a bit of a smaller £15,000 winner, but are using a restricted account, which is exactly what you should be doing. All those restricted accounts sitting around doing nothing need to be hammering lucky 15s, lucky 63s, lucky 31s until the bookmaker finally slices them to pieces and says, no more, I can't stand it, you win. Take the money, spend it responsibly and be on your way. Couple of player stuff I wanna talk about. The first one was Jude um, Bellingham, the, the midfielder, the England midfielder who plays for Dortmund. So back in the 8th of May, um, exactly a month ago today, um, Dortmund played Wolfsburg. On the 6th of May, uh, we found a bet. Uh, the bet was Jude Bellingham to score and Dortmund to win. Um, this was at Sporting Bet. And it was 12 to 1 at Sporting Bet. Now, we have a scorecast model that took quite a lot of time to get into place just because working on the mathematics. First, we needed an XG for each player. Then we needed the XG for the game. But with that, if you've got the XG for the team, for the player, for the game, you can work back first principles of anytime scorecast, anytime wincast, scorecast and wincast, which are the same bets, but instead of anytime it's first goal scorer. So essentially we're just taking all of the Dortmund scorelines, permutations to win, 1-0, 2-0, 2-1, 3-0, 3-1, 3-2, and within those scorelines working what the probability of each scoreline is with Jude Bellingham scoring, because we've got an XG of every single player on the pitch, Right? So we know the percentage of time a 1-0 comes in when it's Jude Bellingham that's got the 1-0, or 2-0 comes in, when you know what I mean? So 6.38. It's quite a fun little um, tool, the scorecast model. It can be found if you have access to it and any inclination, and it's probably one of the tools I play with mo more than any other tool, um, either in the player XG tool. Oh, we have X tries as well just now, which isn't really worth its own segment, but there's a new tool. Um, we wanted it in place before the World Cup in September for rugby. So we've got a couple of months to play around with this. But yeah, if you go to X tries, you can see expected tries for rugby union and rugby league games by team, um, by half. And players, although the players is very much empty just now because there's a lot of synonym matching and it's quite actually difficult to scrape around loads of different bookmakers. Players mostly comes from the best bookmaker price with margin on top from three or more bookmakers. And what we find is that we don't find three or four bookmakers. But looking just now, like Blues versus the New South Wales Waratahs, 8.35 tries in the game, of which 5.53 for the Blues, 2.82 for the Waratahs. Finding the occasional thing under a request to bet or a your odds is good because then you can go into William Hill and take advantage of it there. Which is always my go-to with modelling when I'm trying to... I, I want to know if it's available at William Hill online because I can. I don't have a William Hill online, but I can send my runners to the shops and they can pick them up on the SSBTs. So that's why William Hill online, your odds, is always of a lot of interest to me. So I hear that Jude Bellingham to score and Dortmund to win is 12-1 to 1 at Sporting bet it was actually found by one of the bb team and they raised it because if anything is ridiculous value they do highlight it because maybe something's wrong fair odds 6.38 i had a look at it looked absolutely fine his xg looked fine his ags looked fine his fgs looked fine dortmund's a xg looked fine everything looked fine 
when I go, went to check um, what Bet365 were priced up for exactly the same bet, they were like 4.5. So we were 6.38 and Sporting Bet were 12 to 1. Whether it's a palp or an error at Sporting Bet is irrelevant. The information itself is quite useful to me. Uh, one of two things can now happen. Well, we could put it up, but we're not going to put it up in the 6th. In fact, we have a rule that we don't put anything up until 18 hours before the event. This allows other people to go and find a sporting bet all by themselves and get in it. Because as soon as it goes up, it's not going to be live at sporting bet for very long. We actually were taking bets on how long it would be live for. Duncan went less than 10 minutes. I think it was like 25 minutes. It wasn't long. Because, you know, it hits the tracker. It's like 200% EV. Gets passed around. Gets passed around even further. You know, we can, we can, there's no way we can keep it in-house and as a, as a secret. As soon as members know... They're going to be sharing it with friends. People are going to be getting on it. They're going to take too much liability. They're going to see that there's an issue. It's going to get cut or removed. I think it was cut. Maybe it was removed. I don't. Really, it doesn't really matter. But one of two things might happen here. So we have to wait. I mean, I'm aware of this on the 6th, but we have to wait for the 8th until this to happen. And that is the, the matchbook or an exchange put it up, and then there's plenty of exchange value that could be had by providing the layers with liquidity. This happened last month with... Newcastle to um, beat Tottenham. And I think it was Isaac, Alexander Isaac, to score in the match. It could have been Callum Wilson, one of the two. But either way, we worked it out early doors to be 5-1 to one because of a boost. It was up a matchbook at like 11.0 matchable, something like that. I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was in that ballpark. So that was one of the options that could have happened to this bet, and so could have got some value at matchbook. Um, as it transpired, it wasn't live that long, so there probably wasn't enough match betters, layers, arbitrage players getting on it for it to go up at matchbook and take advantage of them then. Um, but another thing that could happen is, well, if it's value there, is it value, has anyone else got it madly wrong, right? So I, look, I went around and I looked at Jude Bellingham either to score our, or, and Dortmund to win or to score at a particular score line, like 1-0-2-0-2-1, I looked at Betfred, uh, I looked at William Hill um, and Jude Bellingham to score first and Dortmund win, things like that. Because it's like if one trader's got it wrong, has another trader got it wrong kind of a thing. Um, did actually find some value at William Hill. Um, pretty decent value as well. Jude Will Bellingham to score just in the match and Dortmund win was 6-1. to one. Six to one. Jude Bellingham to score first and Dortmund win twenty to one. Both of those are value. So the game finished six nil. I mean the first thing that you need is Jude Bellingham to start, and he did. But it was Karim Adiyami who scored first. Sebastian Haller gets the second goal. Malin gets the third goal. So Dortmund are three nil up at half time. This is always risky because you feel, feel like players are going to come off and the subs are going to come on. Do you know what I mean? In the second half. But Bellingham made it to the second half. He got the fourth goal in the match. Um, Adeyemi got the fifth goal. Bellingham got the sixth goal in a route 6-0 victory for Dortmund over Wolfsburg. And how much did I win? I won zero pounds and zero pence. Because it was one of those weekends where everybody was busy. It was a, early in May. 
Drink was flowing. People were happy. It was getting a little bit loose. You know what I mean? It was getting a little bit loose. It was getting a little bit loose. Uh, runners were on stag do's down in Bath. And um, I couldn't get to the shop myself. The Willie Mill in my local town, incidentally, has closed down the utter... Because they, they've cost me a pretty penny there by closing down. Um, yeah, so I just I didn't get on it. It's one of those things. Didn't get on it. I, so there was opportunity available... And it was freely available. But that's kind of the thinking, the thought decisions, the, 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 the process. When you see something like 12 to 1 at Sporting Bet, 6.38, 6.38, we actually, there's a discussion that goes on behind the curtains of bookie bashing. There's no real answer to this. It's like, do we even put it up at all? I mean, it, finds a bit, it feels a bit cheesy using our own team to find value bets that only we know about and we keep for ourselves. Well, the argument against putting it up is that if they're just going to palp it, then are we not just causing negativity? Now, I argue no, because there there's other opportunity available. Whether I should be keeping that to myself or sharing it around, I feel like I should be sharing it around. I think maybe Duncan's a little bit more of the, it's, it's just going to get palped. It's just going to cause nothing but trouble. We shouldn't be putting them up. But where's the line? I mean, is 12 to 1, 6.38 really a palp? It's Jude Bellingham to score and Dortmund to win. It's not the easiest bet for people to work out. So, um, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, do you think we should be putting those up? Do you think we should be staying clear of them because they're too dangerous? If you do think so, what's the line? 150%? 120%? I've seen palp, I've seen 101% palp before. You know what I mean? Here's a message in. We got this through in support. Um, was going to suggest a topic for the Bashcast, all right? All for that. Um, in a lot of non bookie bashing communities it's very common to say that bookie bashing expected shots on target is rubbish as they are not a uh, true reflection of the fair odds i would be interested in your thoughts on that and also the fact that you can't get any stakes on shots on targets which Anyone that has tried to Dutch shots on target will find out. So let me just go and bang my head against a brick wall for the 832nd time. Look, I like the question. I am super frustrated by the question. I have been super frustrated by the by the um the, the the shots on target tool and the perception of the shots on target tool for so long just now. It went up in September 2020. And um, it was one of those things that was never... We never started bucky bashing to release a shots on target tool. We started bucky bashing essentially for the trackers of the horse racing, the golf, the coupons tracker. I mean, the coupons tracker was first. And then we had a bunch of tools in the background and we thought we would make them available. And we don't... Like, if it, we thought anything didn't work... We would have pulled it by now. And there was the opportunity to pull this on multiple occasions. And the narrative still drives. It's a narrative that can't be controlled. Um, j just touching on the second part of the comment just now. If you're dutching shots on target lines, then you're going to get restrictions. It's not the shots on targets that are bringing restrictions. It's not the market. It's the fact that you're dutching. So what if, when you're dutching, you're finding the most extreme of the most extreme value. That's what happens when you're dutching, Right. So um, you're finding outliers. You're finding things that you, you're, you're, you know, you know these these lines are out there, and you're going to get restricted dutching. You're going to get restricted arbing. Everyone knows you're going to get restricted arbing. So sort of suggesting that 
it's not possible to bet on shots on target because when dutching you get restricted. It's kind of nonsense. It's almost like saying you can't bet on horse racing because if you are horse racing, you get restricted. Well, duh, right? So I'm sort of not going to touch on too much on that point. Don't dutch shots on target and expect to get away with it. Um, and also, there is more than one way to skin a cat. Um, if you want to get away with things, shot betting, SSBTs, exchange betting, things like that. You have to have confidence in the numbers, of course, to be doing these things. And that brings me to the first point. It is pretty common to say that bookie bashing shots on target is rubbish. Now, I don't want to be offensive to the person that's brought this message and this question to me, because thank you very much for the question, but that's a pretty lazy argument. It's a very lazy argument. You see, what we can do is we can take empirical data and we can show that the the fit between the expectation and the recorded results is a good fit or a bad fit, or it um, fits in circumstances, certain circumstances, and it doesn't fit in other certain circumstances, right? That's one thing that we can do. We can look at advanced statistics such as p-values. We can um, understand things like variance simulations, where we look at the return on investment that we've got compared to what we would have expected to have get uh, have gotten, things like that. But um, simply saying pretty rubbish um, doesn't is is unhelpful for the first part. For the second part, it is common in a lot of non-bookie bashing communities to have this discussion about the bookie bashing shots on target. I have a look at the sports betting channel on Discord. Don't see anything. Uh, I see a lot of sarcasm, which I'm starting to stamp down on because it's not helpful. Um, I once dropped in recently just to defend the shots on target um, and someone mentioned that the only way that you can take advantage of them is laying them. Now, there are two ways of taking advantage of anything, backing or laying. So the person was essentially just saying that they're all wrong on the over is the point that they were trying to get across. And again, show me the empirical data. Show me the conversation. How can I defend or enter a conversation about shots on target in non-BB communities that I don't see? It's a little bit cowardly. Bring the data to me and we'll discuss it openly. But no one has, other than the subjective reasoning of pretty rubbish. I got fed up with it. Honestly, I've actually turned around to the guys and said, let's pull it. But I also know that some people are making some money out of it. They're not very vocal. So how do we put this to bed finally? I'll tell you how we do it. We do a large-scale analysis of every single line that we've put up at Bucky Bashing. You see, we started in September 2020. And I thought we were going to monitor the ROI and the performance of the tracker by putting a few bets on the bet tracker that would be recorded. There was an issue with that, a massive issue. And that is it was so painfully slow to gather enough information, enough data to validate, verify the performance. Um, you know, I'd, you could I, you could argue that a sample size is a player. You could also argue that sample size is a match because if Kane gets a shot on target, he takes a shot on target away from Son, right? Either way, year, we, we noticed that it was going to take years, lots and lots and lots of years to get a sample size that was worth looking at. So we changed the approach. We we have we have a database of every single line that uh, it's the closing line that we've recorded for every single player since September 2020. Um, looking at players that just started, 
because I think we've removed the players that came on at the 91st minute as a substitute. So looking at players that just started, that was 12,786 lines between September 2020 and May 2023, right? Over 1,500 games, or maybe it was 1,470. I'll, I'll get the exact figures in a second when I have a look at the data. So we're now at a sample size where it's it's reasonable. So the question is, we can now look at it and we can look at how many shots on target we predicted and how many were recorded. And we can now say how accurate it is. And we can now say if it is pretty rubbish or not. We can now say if that we're meant to be backing or laying or if the lines are spot on, right? We've got the data to show it. So... um. This is the best way of doing it. It's always data. It's never pretty rubbish or it's wrong. Um, a lot of the um, emotion comes into it from the headline boosts at Skybet losing, the Salas 1 to 10 up to evens. People have been trying to sort of estimate the fair odds in the exchange and they're heavy odds on and therefore they're getting quite big stakes on at heavy odds on and the, those have been losing. Um, and... I think that's driven the narrative that they're wrong. But always, I think, it's always an interesting exercise. If you multiply the odds by 10, like the back odds by 10, are you still losing? There was a long losing run in the combo bets where you could have taken every single combo bet and multiplied the back odds by 10 and you still would have been losing. So you're telling me that 2-1 to one bet that we're now making 20-1 to one was still a bad bet? You know, at some point, your losing run is the reason why you're losing not the tools and methodology at your disposal. But maybe the shots on target is wrong. Maybe it's just wrong. I mean, here's the theory why we think it should be right. We're looking at bookmakers that offer the over and the under, not the bookmakers that just offer the over. Because when you just offer the over, you could be offering anything, at least when you offer the over, the under. The suggestion is that neither of those lines should be plus EV. We simply don't posit that a bookmaker is offering a plus EV bet on one side, right? We think that the fair expectancy is somewhere between the under and the over, and they've got a margin applied. The margin is usually between about 7 and 10%. The question becomes, where do you apply the margin? Do you apply it equally to the over and the under? Do you apply it all to the under? Well, I don't think you do. I don't think you apply it all to the under because that means that the overline is pretty much value or, or as close to value as possible. And most people are betting overs, so I don't think you do. But do you apply it all to the over? Maybe you do because so few people are betting unders. Or is it somewhere in between? Is it 25% of the way, 10% of the way? You know, you know what I mean, in a sliding scale. So that really is, that's the question. Or have we got it wrong? If they're completely rubbish, there's no value anywhere in that margin. And that's when all of the complaints, all of the common narrative, apparently in non-bookie bashing communities that I have no insight into and I'm not able to engage in, they are then right. And if they're right, at the end of this analysis, I'll pull the tool. Oh, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll change the tool so that it's right. But in the two and three quarter years the tool's been live, I've never pulled it because... I've been very confident that it's a correct methodology and sometimes I feel like I've been shouting into an empty room um, trying to defend this. Well, we have the data now, so let's have a look at the data. Right. Um, 12th of September 2020 to 4th of May 2023, 12,786 players. 
That was 1,579 matches exactly, okay? So we took those and we looked at the shots on target that these players got. These are players that all these players started the game. They got 8,612 shots on target. Right, so there's our base. That's what we're going to try and find. We're benchmarking against that level of accuracy. The number of shots on target we got, we recorded historically, was 8,612. So what did the tool predict? If the tool predicted 20,000, we're in trouble. If the tool predicted 2,000, we're in trouble. Okay, it needs to have predicted somewhere in the region of that 8,612 to have any degree of um, accuracy or usefulness. Now, something that adds an element of complexity into the tool is that it can be calibrated and the number of expected shots on target that are returned by the tool depend on the calibration of the tool. So the calibration is a slider and the slider is set set by each member of each user. The slider could be at 50%, which is equal margin on the over and the under. And when we release the tool, it was set at default to 50%. I think if you open the tool up for the first time, that's the default position that it is. In fact, at the beginning of the tool, when we released it, there was no slider. I can't remember when we released it. It might have been 2021, but I don't remember the exact date. But regardless, I set my slider to all of the margin on the over, which is 0%. So um, uh, am I overcooking it or am I undercooking it there? Um, and you may have your slider set to anywhere between 0 and 100%, although I think between 50 and 100% is kind of nonsense because that's leaning towards bias where it probably doesn't exist with the margin on the over. So when we're looking at this, we can actually ask a secondary question as well which is what is the optimal position of the slider, presuming we can find that figure of 8,612 somewhere in the slider. If we can't find it, hands up, the tool's useless. The users are right. The, the non-BB communities are right that it's rubbish and wrong. If we don't find that 8,612 somewhere in that slider, then we should have pulled the plug in this tool a long time ago. Well... At 0% where I have the slider, the tool expected 8,435 shots on target. So I am actually undercooking it a little bit. It's too much margin, right? I'm 2.09% under what was recorded. And up at 50%, which I really think is the max it should be, there was 9,549 shots on target expected which is 9.8 percent over so that's the first bit of good news it means that somewhere in the margin slider is the 8612 shots on target we are now we know now from the data from a large amount of data that the argument some people have been bringing to the table is that the underline is value well the underline isn't value right the underline which i've been using at 0% predicted 8,435 shots on target. There was 8,612. It's 2% out, right? So the under all the margin isn't under the underline, and that means that the underline isn't plus EV at these bookmakers. Um, so we see from this data that the, the expected shots on target is between the under and the overline, but where is it on that margin slider? So we've got... You know, we don't go to fractions of percentage on the slider, so we've got sort of 
50 increments, zero, one, two, three to go through. And that's exactly what I did. I changed the slider position from zero, one, two, three up to 50 and found out that the optimal position is between seven and 8%. So at 7%, the tool estimated 8,589 shots on target, which was um, 0.26% under the historical recorded amount. And at 8%, it was 8,621, which is the closest line, which is 0.11% over the historical recorded result. Um, and yeah, as mentioned, this is closing line on players that started only. I've made the data available. Uh, it's available just now with a little video um, in the new bookie bashing offices that we've had redesigned under latest news, shots on target, historical result of every line 2020 to 2023. If you want to scroll to the bottom, you can download that data. But I think if anyone now just says that the data is wrong or the data is rubbish, well, uh, or sorry, the tool is wrong or the tool is rubbish, well, I don't need to argue it anymore. I'm just going to provide the spreadsheet and you can decide for yourself. Um, the, the information is there. The data is there. We were always going to make it available whether it was um, going to show that the tool was accurate or whether it was going to show that the tool was inaccurate. And yeah, certainly concede, by the way, the, um, at the beginning um, when the tool was released, there was no slider option to go to 7 to 8%. Um, it was only 50%. But... Um, that's the data as well, the 50% line that goes to the bet builder that then goes on to the bet tracker for um, ROI monitoring. What do I do with this now? Um, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to set the default position for, any, for anyone that hasn't touched the slider, never opened the tool, and for the bet builder, I'm going to set the default position to 8%. And then we're going to monitor it on a rolling three-month basis, and we're going to update all of the results. And maybe if the um, line changes to... The margin changes to seven or six or nine or ten. Then after three or so months, we will automatically change the default. Um, however, if you have your own um, slider position that you have changed at least once in the history of using Bookie Bashing, I don't want to mess with that. Again, these tools from the horse racing tracker to everything else, they're really designed to be user calibrated. If you've set your slider to 1% for whatever reason, um, I'm not going to touch that. I don't want to change it because you put it there. It would be a bit, you would, you know, I could change it and you wouldn't notice it. And I, I would be miffed if someone was messing around with my calibration settings and stuff like that. So the rule I'm, I've asked is that if anyone has ever moved their slider, even once, we're not going to change anything. But if no one's moved it um, or, or even opened it, then um, I want the default slider position to be 8% on the shots on target. Interesting, I did it on the other stats as well not just shots on target. And it's not exactly consistent throughout all of the sh stats. In fact, assists, um, the 50% line is still undercooking it. Um, 7,156 sample size, um, recorded 947 assists in that time. 50% slider was 883. So that was 6% under. So... Um, that could be a sample size issue. Even with 7,156 counts, we're only actually recording less than 1,000 still. But I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit confused by that. But that's one where assists, you would have benefited from putting the margin closer to the over than the under. It's the only one of the stats that does that. Um, shots, cards, and tackles all follow exactly the same um, um, pattern as shots on target. But all three of them are less pronounced. I mean, tackles... Um, maybe a little bit similar, but I mean, shots and 
cards, the line seems to be a lot closer to 50% than it does seem to be at 0%. What about magnitude of odds? Is there anything that stood out there? Um, you know, shot, you know, long shot defenders, how do they perform? Well, to actually, to be fair, the guys with very, very few shots on target, expected shots on target, which is between 0 and 0.25, did sort of perform a little bit better than everyone else, but it's not so noticeable. And of course, because they're now the, the long shots, the variance becomes a little bit more significant for those guys as well. But um, um, for the rest of them, from 0.25 upwards up to, I think the highest we saw was perhaps Messi or Mbappe or Haaland or someone like that against the Nobody team. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty consistent, the um, difference between the recorded and the expectancy throughout all of those um, brackets. I also had a look at competitions. I mean, probably more for fun or anything like that, where there was a minimum of 100 shots on target lines. And again, um, this was the UEFA Nations League, French League One, Premier League, Bundesliga, La Liga, Serie A, Champions League, Europa League, Football League Cup, FIFA World Cup, the FA Cup and the Champions League. Every single one of them, again, it was this sort of, um, the margin was a lot closer to 0% than it was to 50%. But I don't really see any need to go down the route of changing a slider position by um, competition. That's just a little bit of... um, searching for a signal in what amounts to a lot of noise. So um, what is the deduction of all of this? Well, one, thank you very much for the um, for the request of the conversation because it, it sort of drove, it was quite a complicated project to do. You've got to imagine that. You've got 12,789 players, most of whom have recorded zero shots on target. Going back to September 2020, you've got to go and look up those games and how many shots on target they got. Credit to the team who helped me with uh, putting this together. Um, They did a fantastic job. And honestly, I couldn't have done it on my own. Um, Secondly, we're going to bring in some changes to sort of optimize the the shots on target tool, namely setting the default to 8% on the margin slider. Just for shots on target, I do need to put a little bit more thought into what we're going to do for assists through to tackles. I think possibly we might have to have a calibration slider for each of those stats, which isn't available just now. It's one catches all. Thirdly, the bet builder and the bet tracker is going to be calibrated to 8% on the margin slider and not 50%. And sort of fourthly, I hope this can put to bed um, any of the negativity or the narrative that the tool is rubbish in non-BB communities. If you think it's rubbish, come and talk about it in BB. If you're not even a member of BB, send me a message because I'm always happy to engage in discourse. But if you do send me a message, it's got to be data. Um, Without data, subjective sort of moaning achieves nothing in the world of gambling except for the fact that it shows you for who you are because a successful and profitable professional gambler will look at his strategies and will look at his data and even if he is losing he will come to the conclusion that everything is sound or there is a tangible problem that can be deconstructed and solutions put into place and then you have this other part of the if you like want to be professional gambler who will go on a losing run and will blame his tools and almost everyone else except themselves. And the shots on target is one of those things where there have been losing runs, but we can now see from the data, which is available to all, 
that the tool is returning expectancies that over a significant sample size are in line with what has been historically recorded. And that's enough for me. I am off to, um, I reckon I might go and have a, maybe a cheeky afternoon pint of neck oil because the sun is out and summer has officially started. Whatever it is you're doing this weekend, um, let's hope it's just crack a Rooney of a Champions League final. This is Tom signing out. Thank you.